Welcome to the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Here are your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Stahl. All right, welcome to our podcast where we cover business in the news and add our legal twist. My name is Nasser Pasha. And I'm Matt Stobb. I'm sorry, who? <laughs> Matt Stobb. Oh, Matt. Yeah. oh, great. Didn't have your headphones in. Those the new uh, the new cordless Beats headphones or whatever the thing they got unveiled at the draft yesterday. I thought those were out for a while. No. There's these new cordless. They might be intended for athletes, but they're not even cordless because there's still a cord that goes behind the head connecting the two headphones. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. I actually have one of those for running. I didn't like them. They, did, they did, still didn't stick in my ear because it has Bluetooth in it, so that it has some weight to it. I'd just rather have something light that to plug in. And that's my story on that. <laughs> Let's talk about the law and business. And LinkedIn, which I don't know if we've even talked about LinkedIn ever. In California, there was a decision, actually in in federal court that a reference search on LinkedIn is not a consumer report under the Fair Credit Reporting Act. So what people were saying or what people were complaining about was a prospective recruit applies for a job and the employer could do a reference search via LinkedIn and kind of see the the backstory, the history of, of these potential prospects. And Well, when we say people, keep in mind that it's not like some LinkedIn user decided to file this lawsuit. I mean, this has definitely been perpetuated from an attorney and they see LinkedIn as a target. I mean, that that's how I see it because I can't really see any wrong here. What prompted someone to complain that LinkedIn is not presenting information correctly that all the all the requirements that are required with this Fair Credit Reporting Act how was this consumer or this LinkedIn user hurt in some way with the information that was provided since especially they are the ones that actually provided the information? I didn't really understand that at all because it's people complaining about potential employers can see their you know past work history, references, anything like that. But if you don't want that on there, you, you voluntarily posted that on LinkedIn. So if you're that concerned about that, just don't post it in the first place would make the most sense, right? Yeah. And that's pretty much what the court decided as, as one of the factors, but they actually broke it down in, in step-by-step, step, you know, whether LinkedIn's profiles are considered or it's information that's being provided are considered, quote, consumer reports or reports that contain information solely as for transactions or experiences between the consumer and the person making the report. And so not only did it not fit in that definition, but also they went on to explain how it's not a consumer reporting agency. These plaintiffs actually provided this information. You know, when we go on LinkedIn, we're, you know, it's not like our employers are putting our past history on there. We're putting it on there. In fact, we could put whatever we want in there. It could be true or false. I still just don't understand the philosophy or the idea behind bringing this lawsuit in the first place. Like the employers are discriminating against them before they can even do an interview or I guess discriminate, discriminating against them in the employment search process. I, I think what it is, is that if, if they're able to say that LinkedIn is a consumer reporting agency and that they're, they have to comply with the fair credit reporting act, then they can say that in the past X number of years, they haven't complied with the fair credit reporting act and they've made all these violations. And therefore this class of LinkedIn users is entitled to all these money damages. So that's why I feel like this is a another example of much ado about nothing where an attorney 
or a group of attorneys sees LinkedIn as a target and 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 frankly with some a clever argument trying to fit fit this LinkedIn puzzle piece into this Fair Credit Reporting Act and trying to make make a legal damages case out of it. The point of the Fair Credit Reporting Act is to protect people from false or inaccurate information being spread about them, right? I mean, I don't think LinkedIn auto-populates anything or like searches anything. So you posted the information, unless you're posting false information about yourself, then there's nothing inaccurate that's up there. Yeah, which would make it interesting. I wonder if LinkedIn was able to verify some things from employers and have verified reports over its users, then that would be a much different thing. And I think that would be a really cool service for employers to look into to be able to have access to that, but the frankly, LinkedIn doesn't do that. You know, I, I'm trying to find the complaint itself, but that, I suspect it's just one of those things where people were trying to stretch the law because, you know, when you look at the actual statute, sometimes you know this Fair Credit Reporting Act is is quite old, so maybe with something new, they try to fit, expand its definitions a little bit to see if it fits with with LinkedIn. Well, I mean, LinkedIn would be the one that has to follow the Fair Credit Reporting Act rules and not the individual employer. So are these people disgruntled against, I guess, LinkedIn because they didn't get jobs or it just none of it really makes sense to me? (laughs) No, I, I, I agree. But, you know, going back to the Fair Credit Reporting Act, you know, in the employment law context, when 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 you actually pull your employees' credit reports, which some states allow, many states do not, or they have very strict restrictions and all that. And we can talk about that in a second. I don't quite understand the connection because, okay, let's say you decide to hire an employee who has a lot of debt and doesn't pay their bills. What does that mean to you as hiring that person, whether it makes a big impact or not? I mean, there's a lot of other things that you can do to, it it just seems like a weird, weird filter to me, right? In other words, what, what what do I care if my employee has bad credit or not? Most of the time, yes, I guess. it's there's, I'm sure there's certain jobs where you would probably care. Yeah. Like maybe uh, anyone handling money or uh, not handling money, but like... Financial advisors. Yeah, financial advisor. <laughs> Didn't want to come out and say it, but... But for some reason, even then, like even where it justifies it, having the ability for your employer to pull that seems like very invasive. Yeah, it's in, it's intrusive for sure. You know, there's some states like New York City is expected to ban the use of credit checks in, in employment applications altogether. What do you think about that? Going back to what I was saying, I think that's fine most of the time. I think there are specific jobs where it would make sense to have some sort of credit check, you know, but at the same time, Let's say you you made a decision that was detrimental to your credit. That was your fault. And just because you did that doesn't mean you're going to do something with a third party that might be a client for the person you work for. So what you were just talking about in, in New York City, I mean, the position exemptions, police officers, I don't really see why that matters at all. But I guess it's stretching it a little bit. But if you have a police officer that owns a lot of debt, then maybe they're more susceptible to bribes and things like that. But uh, California has a similar ban statewide for credit checks, and they have a list of exemptions that I, it seems like it's similar. I mean, besides law enforcement, certain management positions, those that have access to personal data, financial responsibility, uh, trade secrets, access to cash. And again, I, I understand it, and it's good to see that, they, okay, they, for certain exceptions, they, they have it. But obviously, if you have someone working at McDonald's not to disparage that position, but, you know, going through a credit check seems, you know, it seems too intrusive. 
or invasive. How far are you going to stretch it to people that are operating a cash register and there's money in the drawer and like they could use that money to pay off their debts? It's You could keep going all day on that. Yeah, that's true. It's a good point. And for example, in California, when it says access to cash and financial responsibility is different, like I think you actually have to have signatory authority, but access to cash, I think I'm looking here, looks like a position that involves regular access to cash totaling $10,000 or more of the employer, customer, or client during the workday. So even then, it has to be some kind of substantial amount. The person that I pay to carry around my wallet, I you know, I run a credit check on them because it's excess of $10,000 cash in the wallet. I actually have the same thing, but I, I make sure I limit it to $9,999. So <laughs> What's the biggest bill they even make nowadays. Do they have $1,000 bills? I don't think so anymore. Do they, they have, they used to, they do not any longer. And I think that was because of money laundering and, and counterfeits and stuff. Like that. Are there still $500 bills out there? Only a monopoly, I believe, which those are just, just as good. Well, there's still hundreds. We know that, but there are, there are no hundreds either. Think, yeah, no hundreds either. Think about the idea of a a piece of paper that's just very, very thin and basically worthless, but it's worth a thousand dollars. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, money, if you just have it sitting around, it'll deteriorate and actually, uh, disintegrate eventually or be, you not be legal tender anymore. So like, that's why they have those blue wrappers and so forth. So, so like, if, if you're like me and, and hides, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars in your couch, like I do, you have to actually put it in those, those blue wrappers and make sure you know bugs don't get to it and stuff like that. So the current highest current denomination is the $100 bill, which makes sense cuz anything above that would be kind of yeah. crazy, but the highest the highest bill ever printed in the US was how much? What do you think? I bet you it's a million dollars only because they may do it for some kind of novelty specialty purposes. No, nah, it was $100,000, but it was in 1934, so that's <laughs> It's probably over a million dollars today in today's money. That's what I mean. I was after inflation, of course. And there was a $500 bill that was printed with William McKinley on it. So it did exist. Woodrow Wilson was on the $100,000 note. So by the way, we did cover LinkedIn back on episode 80 when <laughs> LinkedIn was being accused of messing up their overtime rules. Okay. Actually, they were made to pay back pay to its employees. So... It wasn't, it was more than just an ale- alleged issue. I think we can probably just assume any company we talk about has messed up their labor laws at some point. That's a very true and wise statement. And I think everyone should understand that that's like a very common issue with even big to small employers. It's just what's going to happen. All right. So let's see. Uh, that is episode 186 in the books. Thanks for joining us, everyone. And uh, don't forget to leave a positive review on iTunes for us. Yeah. I mean, if you've listened this long into the episode, you obviously like it. So unless you fell asleep, which in that case, time to wake up. Yeah. And leave that review. All right. Keep it sound. Keep it smart. This has been the Legally Sound Smart Business Show with your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Stop. The Legally Sound Smart Business Show is your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Legally Sound Smart Business is a podcast that is intended but not promised or guaranteed to be current, complete, or up-to-date, and should in no way be taken as an indication of future results. No attorney-client relationship is created by listening or submitting questions to the podcast. The podcast does not constitute legal advice, but rather is offered only for general informational and educational purposes. You should not act or rely on any information in the podcast without first seeking the advice of an attorney. 
The opinions expressed in the podcast reflect the views of those individuals and do not necessarily represent the views of any other individual or business. For more information about the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, visit LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com.